Hello, and welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some listeners might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. I'm your host, Erin, Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. So today, I'm going to be reading from A Place to Hang the Moon by Kate Albus. This is from the front flap. William, Edmund, and Anna aren't terribly upset by the death of their not-so-grandmotherly grandmother, who has taken care of them since their parents died. But the children do need a guardian, and in the dark days of World War II London, those are in short supply, especially if they hope to stay together. Could the mass wartime evacuation of children from London to the countryside be the answer? It's a preposterous plan, but off they go keeping their predicament a secret and hoping to be placed in a temporary home that ends up lasting forever. Moving from one BA to another, the children suffer the cruel trickery of foster brothers, the cold realities of outdoor toilets, and the hollowness of empty stomachs. They find comfort in the village lending library, whose kind librarian, Nora Mueller, seems an excellent choice of BA except that her German husband's whereabouts are currently unknown and some of the villagers consider her unsuitable. Set against the backdrop of World War II England, A Place to Hang the Moon is a story about the dire importance of family, the one you're given and the one you choose. So a little quality historical fiction. The selections for the month of March, the 10th through the 31st, I actually didn't make. I had one of our wonderful youth volunteers pick out these books for me. So this is definitely a new to me book. It was written in 2021. So let's see, see what this is all about. Chapter one. Funeral receptions can be tough spots to find enjoyment, but 11 year old Edmund Pierce was doing his best. He was intent on the iced buns. Some of them had gone squashy on one side or the other. Some had lost their icing when a neighboring bun had been removed, and a few had been sadly neglected in the icing department from the start. Undaunted, Edmund picked through the pile, finding two that met with his approval. He shoved one into each of his trouser pockets, and scooping up a handful of custard cream cookies to round out the meal, navigated through the crowd until he found a vacant armchair. There he settled, quite content despite the occasion. It helped that he'd never cared much for his grandmother anyway. On the other side of the room, Anna Pierce sat cross-legged on the floor between a corner cabinet and a brocade settee. The settee's occupants didn't notice the nine-year-old tucked under the weighty scroll of its arm. Anna had recently finished Mary Poppins, and she preferred its company to that of the unfamiliar elderly ladies perched on the settee, or any of the other guests. Like her brother, Anna had managed to find enjoyment at the funeral reception. Also like her brother, Anna felt little grief at her grandmother's passing. William Pierce, the eldest of our threesome, made his way through the throng, thanking people for coming. He had spent a particularly long while with the vicar, who was quite deaf. Everything had to be repeated before the dear man understood, and this took time. William was cross and tired. The corners of his mouth felt tight with smiling. 
But funeral receptions, after all, were not events to be enjoyed, even when one didn't much miss one's grandmother. William glimpsed the toe of Anna's shoe by the corner cabinet. He smiled, his first real smile that day. Crossing the room and nodding to the elderly ladies on the settee, he nudged Anna's foot with his own. She looked up from her book and smiled back at him. William crouched low and squeezed between the furniture to join his sister. It was a tight spot and none too comfortable for a tallish boy of 12, but this is what one does when one loves one's sister very much, especially when one hasn't any parents who might make themselves uncomfortable on behalf of their children. William eyed the slim handful of pages remaining to be read in Anna's book. Last chapter? Anna marked her spot with a hair ribbon and nodded. Mary Poppins has gone away and the children are so sad. William pulled Anna close. Is the reception nearly over? She asked. Nearly. William surveyed the crowd. People are starting to leave. They've got to get home before the blackout. Where's Edmund? William sighed. Last I saw, he was taunting the vicar. Anna's eyes went wild. Taunting? Standing behind him, trying to figure how loud he had to shout before the vicar noticed he was there. Oh dear, mm, I should find him. William squeezed Anna's shoulder. Stay here and finish your book. Anna took her brother's hand. I'll come with you. I'd rather finish it in bed tonight. With that, the pair began to search for their brother in the crowded room. This took quite a while as they were stopped at every turn by well-dressed strangers wishing to list their grandmother's many fine qualities. Anna found herself collecting words along the way, principled, dignified, formidable. She wasn't entirely sure what formidable meant, but it sounded like forbidding, which was a word that described their grandmother nicely, certainly more so than a word like grandmotherly. Thank you, sir, she heard William say as he shook the hand of a brittle-looking man in a gold button jacket. You're right, sir. She was formidable, sir. William spied Edmund in the armchair. He was tossing bits of cookie into the air and catching them, most of them, in his mouth. William excused himself from the gold button man and pulled Anna along behind him. The pair reached Edmund just as a piece of custard cream bounced off his chin and skidded across the floor to lodge itself against the base of a standing lamp. William put his hands on his hips. Must you, Edmund? Edmund grinned. There were only boring cookies left. You've got to do something to make them more interesting. Anna eyed the piece by the lamp. I like custard creams. She thought it was a shame to waste them, even if there hadn't been a war on, which in fact there was. William scowled at Edmund's feet. Edmund, put your shoes back on. Why? Because the guests are leaving. We've got to see them out. I'm in my own house. Why do I have to wear shoes? Just, William retrieved his brother's shoes from the floor. Please, Edmund. Edmund grunted his indignation, but took the shoes. As the children waited for Edmund to do up his laces, they caught snippets of conversation here and there. Lovely sermon, a woman in a blue suit said, twice, to the vicar. Blasted Germans, a ruddy-faced man grunted as he made his way to the door. If only they weren't rationing bacon, said a plump woman being helped into her jacket by an even more plump woman. Whatever is to be done about the children? This last came from the dining room. William, Anna, and Edmund exchanged glances. They recognized the voice of their elderly housekeeper, Miss Collins. They could hear no more of her conversation, but they didn't need to. 
They were only too aware that nobody had yet come up with an answer to the question of what was to be done about the children. At the moment, however, there was no time to dwell on this rather terrifying unknown as a heavily ringed hand landed on Anna's shoulder. I'm sorry for your loss, children. Your grandmother was a paragon, as you no doubt know. Thank you, ma'am, Anna said. Anna didn't know the ringed woman. She also didn't know what paragon meant, but thought it sounded rather like pagoda, which couldn't be right. She noted silently that the woman smelled of mothballs. Yes, thank you, William said, recoiling with some dismay as he saw Edmund remove an iced bun from his pocket, his pocket, and shove it into his mouth whole. The ringed woman looked to Edmund for his response. It was perhaps for the best that his mouth was filled with iced bun, for this made his answer unintelligible. The woman raised her eyebrows in distaste and brushed a spray of crumbs from her lapel. She carried on toward the front door, muttering something about the world and what it was coming to. Charming, Ed, William said. Edmund swallowed the last of the bun. She was a miserable old cow, and you know it. Why must we all of a sudden pretend to have adored her? It's what people do, Anna said. Yes, but why? Anna considered this, but could find no sense in it. Frankly, she was preoccupied with hunger and a bit jealous of Edmund for having got the last of the custard creams. She picked out a finger sandwich from the buffet and nibbled it, wishing it were a cookie. As the door was closed on the last of the guests, Miss Collins appeared and asked the three of them to join her in the dining room. There, she lowered herself into a chair. You'll remember, children, that your grandmother's solicitor, Mr. Angersaw, will be here early tomorrow? William, Edmund, and Anna knew the meeting with the solicitor was to be about their futures. Somehow, the word always sounded capitalized when adults said it, and all three felt rather sick at the bleak uncertainty. For June of 1940 was, even for those who had not recently become orphans, a time of most uncertain futures. The country's worst fears about Mr. Hitler had been realized the previous fall when war with Germany had been declared. While no bombs had yet been dropped on London, the overheard conversations of adults suggested that it was only a matter of time. William smiled a stalwart sort of smile. Edmund looked at the floor. The sides of Anna's nose were beginning to go pink, warning of oncoming tears. Miss Collins, she whispered, can't you just stay on with us? Don't be daft, Edmund said, she's ancient. William grimaced, Ed. Miss Collins laid a wizened hand on William's. Children, how I wish such a thing could be. I'm afraid though that an old bird like me, she directed a smile at Edmund, is in no position to become mother to anyone. But we don't need a real mother, Anna said, only a hint of a whine creeping into her voice. We just need someone to watch us when we're home from boarding school at the holidays. We wouldn't be any bother. Her eyes darted briefly toward Edmund. Truly, we wouldn't. William thought of hushing his sister, but the fact was that he wished for precisely the same thing she did. Indeed, if he was to be honest about his heart's desire, he wished for more. He wished Miss Collins would volunteer to be a mother to the three of them. He wished she would stop Edmund from sneaking sweets after dinner. He wished he would read Anna, all of them come to that, stories at bedtime and tuck the covers about their necks before saying sweet dreams and switching off the lamp. He wished she would praise him for his top marks in history. 
He wished she would take him in her bony old arms and tell him she'd be in charge and he needn't worry any longer. Truth be told, he had wished all of this for a very long time, though he knew a housekeeper's job was cleaning and cooking, not tucking in and hugging. Miss Collins dug in her apron and produced a spotless handkerchief. She dabbed at her nose, now gone pinker than Anna's. I'm afraid there's nothing for it, children, she gripped William's hand. What you need is a proper guardian, she faltered, gave a sniffle. And while I wish things were different, that's more than I'm, she sniffed again, it's more than I'm able to give you. With that, she rose and fled through the doorway to her own quarters as quickly as her aged bones would carry her. Left to themselves, the children trudged upstairs to the nursery for their own private council of war. Edmund perched on the window seat, which was rather useless just now, as the blackout shades were tightly drawn and eclipsed any view of the dusky London streets below. He picked up a rubber ball and began tossing it into the air and catching it again. I suppose that was supper, he said. William sat cross-legged on the floor, paging through a book. The rhythmic riffling of the pages was soothing. Honestly, Edmund, he said, do you really need more food? Edmund shrugged. What do you think the solicitor will have to say, Will? I don't know. Hopefully, Miss Collins will stay on until we go back to school in September. And then, maybe the grandmother had some sort of plan thought out for us. I'm fairly certain the only thought the grandmother had about us was that we were a right pain in the neck. Ed. Edmund hesitated only a moment. She did think that, though. Edmund sighed. I know, but you needn't say it out loud. He fanned the pages of the book again. Maybe there was a plan left over from Mum and Dad. Anna lay down on the nursery rug. Tell me something about them, William. William gave her ankle a squeeze. Mum always said her children hung the moon. You tell us that one all the time, Edmund complained. We know that one. I know you know it, William frowned, but it's a good one. Yes, but tell us something else anyhow, Anna pleaded. For you see, of the three of them, only William had any memory of their parents. Nothing too detailed, mind you, as he was not yet five when they died. He remembered being led by the hand through the back garden, a cool palm on his forehead when he was ill, a few notes from a tune sung to him at bedtime. And with this handful of fleeting memories, plus a great many more he concocted from his own imagination, William had made it his business some years ago to paint for his brother and sister a vivid, if largely fictitious, portrait of their parents. Anna would, with some regularity, turn to William and say, tell me something about them. Edmund never asked, but always listened. Whether the memory about hanging the moon was real, or whether William had made it up such a long time ago, it had become so. Well, did it matter? William thought for a moment. I've got another. I've only just remembered this one. When she was small, Mom got her little finger run over by someone's roller skate, and she broke it. The skate or the finger? Edmund asked. The finger. Edmund narrowed his eyes. You actually remember her telling you that one? I do. Must have hurt, mustn't it? Anna said. I'm sure it did, William agreed. The children sat in silence for a long while, pondering broken fingers and uncertain futures, until finally William rose, shook himself, and mustered a confidence that was almost believable. Mr. Angersall will have a plan for us, and everything will be all right.
And that is the end of the chapter. So again, that was called A Place to Hang the Moon by Kate Albus. And I hope you enjoyed that first chapter. If not, there's always more to be found at the library or with our online resources or just out in the world. But thank you for listening. And I hope you will join me next time for another Next Reads.